All right. I'm uh, sorry about that. This was um, something that at my end, I got a, a blue screen of death first time on this computer. So I do apologize for that. But uh, every now and then you get these kind of exciting hiccups in Techland. So I do apologize. I'm going to start again with uh, the conversation about this uh, terrible incident that has happened in uh, Minneapolis. And we're going to talk about George Floyd. We're going to talk about what happened, how to think about it, what the consequences of everything that is occurring could be. And we will we will get into this. And I promise you, uh, it's going to be kind of in-depth. It kind of needs to be, right? But it is really, really necessary to, to figure this out. So very briefly, on Monday, what happened was there was an encounter between uh, a middle-aged black man, man named George Floyd. Uh, just after 8 p.m. Monday, police were called to 3700 block of Chicago Avenue South on a report of a man attempting to use forged documents at Cup Foods. And officers found Floyd in the car at the scene. He appeared intoxicated. Police say officers ordered him to get out of the car. After he got out, he physically resisted officers. Police spokesman John Elder told reporters early Tuesday, officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs and officers noticed that the man was going into medical distress. An ambulance brought Floyd to Hennepin Healthcare where he later died. And then... On Monday night, video of the attempted arrest circulated on social media. It's a nine-minute video. shows a white officer pressing his knee into Floyd's neck behind a squad car. While lying face down on the road, Floyd repeatedly groans and says he can't breathe. One bystander tells the white officer and his partner, he's not even resisting arrest right now, bro. You're effing stopping his breathing right now. You think that's cool? After about five minutes, Floyd stops moving and appears unconscious. People in the gathering crowd plead for the officers to check Floyd's pulse. The officer on Floyd's neck does not lift his knee until medical personnel arrive and carry him to an ambulance. So it's uh, absolutely terrible. Uh, It is terrible, a terrible situation. And the video is appalling and it's heartbreaking. And as I said before, it seems almost impossible to justify what happened. But here's the challenge, right? Here's the sequence that I want you to get into. Here's the sequence that I need you to understand, not because anything that may have happened was justified, but in order for the mainstream narrative to work that uh, this is just uh, uh, racism. It's, it's hunting black men. Uh, it's a racist cop who just wants to, to kill uh, a black man and so on. So that is the accusation. And it could be true. It could very well be true. But there's reasons to ask questions. And we will get into what possibility there could be that any of this could be legal right now. When I say legal, I am not talking about moral, right? I am not talking about moral. I'm simply talking about police officers who operate within the scope of the law or who have defensible 
arguments for the use of, of course, what appears to everyone else and which may, in fact, be excessive force. It may be true. It may be factual. It may be real that everything that is bad, that has been talked about and, and is believed by so many people in society, it may be that it is entirely immoral, entirely wrong, and that these men are going to go to jail. And of course, if they did do excessive force, then they should uh, go to jail and there should be reforms. And I don't know what the need is for these. Uh, when a man is handcuffed on his face, why do you need to put a knee into the back of his neck? I don't know. I don't, I'm not a cop. You're not a cop, probably. The rules of engagement are very challenging for lay people to understand, right? That's kind of what I want to get across to people. So I'm going to lay out to you the sequence of events that would have to have occurred in order for this sequence to have played out the way that the people who are afraid it's sheer racism believe, right? Because that's what I do. So I say, somebody says, oh, these, these, these two white cops, and there were, two, there were four cops, right? Four non, uh, two non-white cops and two white cops, right? So if you want to believe or you want to put out the narrative that the two white cops were just, you know, horrible racist cops who just want to uh, hunt down and kill a black men, black women, perhaps, all right? That is possible. Of course it's possible. Of course it's possible. There are horrible racist cops out there uh, of every uh, race, of every ethnicity, and so on, right? Okay, so, but let's look, basically, at what would have had to have transpired in order for this to occur, right? Okay. So, let's say... There's a guy named Bob, and Bob is a horrible racist. He hates blacks. Uh, he, he thinks that they're all criminals, and he's scared, and he's angry, and blah, 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 right? Okay, so that's Bob. Now, if Bob is, like, hates and is scared of blacks, what is the last job you would expect Bob to have? Well, of course, the last job that you would expect Bob to have is a job that puts him in daily contact with some of the most dangerous and violent elements within an overwhelmingly or largely black community. Because, you know, he hates and is afraid of blacks. So I guess my first question is, okay, if you're scared of and hate blacks, why would you want a job that puts you in daily contact with some of the most dangerous elements within the black community? Why? Okay, again, could happen. Maybe he's a masochist, you know, but... So when I was a kid... Uh, and and the, I read Peter Benchley's Jaws, and then the movie came out, and, you know, everybody became scared of sharks. Everybody became really, really nervous about sharks. This is sort of silly story time, but I just want to point out, just to me, the logical challenges of this mainstream race-baiting narrative. So, anyway, I was in Florida when I was about... I don't know, 14 or 15, and uh, I fell asleep on an inflatable raft, and I woke up, and I had drifted out to sea. And the, 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 the beach was just like this little thin yellow strip on the horizon, like one little thin pencil line on the horizon. Thank heavens I could see it, otherwise I might still be out there or not there in the belly of some fish. So I start to feel nervous in the way that you do when you've watched the movie Jaws and read the book and... I was really 
feeling kind of anxious. So then what happened was a bunch of flying fish flew over my inflatable raft. Now, I know that flying fish only jump when they're being hunted. And I thought I saw a big shadow in the water. So then I think I'm way, way out to sea. I'm alone. I'm on a flimsy little half-deflating raft. And something's hunting the flying fish that are jumping over my little raft. Now, I suppose it was a kind of miracle in that I was able to sprint across the waves to get back. But no, here's the thing too, right? So you, in that kind of situation, you also, uh, you say, well, I don't want to swim really, really fast because that sounds like a dying or panicked fish to a shark and all that. So you kind of got to calm yourself and go back, right? So I was scared of the deep water for quite a while. So you know what I didn't get a job as? I didn't get a job as an abalone diver going into great white territory on a regular basis because that's what phobias do is they keep you away from stuff. So, again, it could be that he was a terrible racist uh, and he hated and feared blacks and he was a masochist, so that's why he got a job interacting with dangerous elements within the black community on a race. Could happen. Could happen, right? Okay. So, let's say we've come over those particular... And, and listen, the average IQ for cops about 104, 105. It's above average, at least for white people. It's in and around sort of the East Asian average as a whole. But, you know, the slightly above average in intelligence, uh, there is, of course... Uh, some prejudice against high IQ people for being cops. They generally said, you know, they generally get told if you have a high IQ, you're going to get bored. It's not the job for you and so on, right? Okay, so let's say that this cop is a horrible racist. He hates and is afraid of black people. And so he gets a job every day interacting with dangerous and criminal elements within the black community. All right. Now, let's say that also he wants to uh, find a way to kill uh, an innocent and peaceful black man. All right, this is all within the realm of possibility, but we also have to look at the realm of probability as well, right? I mean, we have to be rational about these things or not, but I kind of prefer it if we did at least have some rationality in this situation. So, as far as I understand it, all four police officers were wearing body cams. Now, if you've seen the Ahmad Arbery videos that were recorded on cop cams, I think there's one from 2017 or 2018 or something like that, wherein Ahmad Arbery was, um, the cops came to him when he was sitting in a car in a park where he said he was just chilling and rapping and they tried to talk to him and he kind of lunged at the cop and he was very aggressive and uh, swore uh, a blue streak at the cops and um, people thought that a taser misfired. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think it's kind of, it's like it's a fake taser to try and tell people to, to calm down and stop being so aggressive. But if you've seen that video and you can go find it online, the video is very high quality because, you know, those of us who kind of went half blind trying to squint at the Minecraft pixels of the Ahmad Aubrey death video, uh, when you saw the video that's on the, the chest cam or the body cam of the cops, that video is really clear. Like it's, I don't know if it's 720p or 1080p, but it's very clear and it's very vivid and there's good sound and there's not a lot of guesswork. Because, you know, a lot of these um, criminal incidents, there's like a shaky cam from a low-res phone from like, 100 yards away, and it's kind of tough to zoom in and figure out what's going on. But the body cams of the police are good. I mean, there's a lot of detail there. There's a lot of color. There's a lot of vivid, uh, vividness and so on, right? So these cops have their body cams on, and their body cams are recording. So then you have to say, the racist cop who hates and fears black people gets a job regularly interacting with dangerous black people, which is kind of like somebody who's 
an arachnophobe getting a job uh, letting dangerous spiders crawl over his body. Like, come on. I mean, so he decides to kill this black man while wearing a body cam. While wearing a body cam. So that's also an interesting question. Now, maybe you could say, well, the cops, they said, you know, this black guy, the two white cops, the two non-white cops, they said, well, we're just going to go and try and kill this black guy. And so we're going to turn our body cams off. All right. I doubt it. But let's say that happened too. Okay. So then what's happening is this racist cop wants to kill this black man in broad daylight when he's surrounded by like a Hollywood red carpet flashing paparazzi series of camera lenses as everyone's recording what he's doing. Well, he's above average in intelligence probably, right? Again, on average, or he's above average in intelligence. He wants to kill this guy or kill a black man. And so he waits until it's broad daylight. There's tons of witnesses and people are recording what he's doing and his body cam is on. These are just questions that even if we accept that he's a racist guy who wants to kill black guys, why would he do it as a cop, right? So let's say that he was a, I'm not saying this is true, obviously, but let's just say Bob is a renegade cop who hates black men, wants to kill black men or black women or whatever. So he would never do it on the job. What he would do is use his knowledge of police work to make sure that he kills people Uh, in the middle of nowhere, and uh, he would wear his rubber gloves, and he would wear his face mask, and he would bleach everything, and he would make sure there was no DNA. Like, he would use his knowledge of police work and procedure in order to commit his heinous crimes and get away with it. He wouldn't do it while wearing a body cam in the middle of the street, in broad daylight, with everyone watching him and filming him. So this is a great mystery. And, and don't get me wrong, all of this could have happened, right? all of this, but it's a great mystery. And this rush to, he, he was a racist cop who, who murdered a black man in, in cold blood who wasn't resisting, this beloved bouncer and so on. There, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to ask some basic questions. Of course, we can rush to judgment and we can join the mob and we can tweak everybody's emotions and we can say uh, he was killed for being black, he wasn't resisting arrest, he was murdered in cold blood and blah, blah, blah. We can do all of that stuff. But that's a hugely racist thing to do. It's a hugely racist thing to do. Because, of course, it's going to harm black people the most. Right? It's going to harm black people the most because this rioting, uh, this is the uh, burning down of stores, this invasion and burning down of police stations, this destruction of tire stores, of targets, of, you know, this looting and all of this. Well, it just means that the black communities in these areas are going to end up with no stores, no employment. It's going to be called a food desert, right? In other words, you can only get food from some heavily fortified, usually Korean-owned convenience store that has mostly toxic garbage with which you can poison your system with. So that's my question, my concern. And it is really appalling, of course, the lack of critical thinking that is occurring in this. 
The idea that a racist cop is going to wait until he's recorded in broad daylight to murder someone could happen, right? There may be an investigation might find that this is the case. We'll see. But there's more to talk about with regards to this stuff. And uh, look at that. We've managed to keep the, <laughs> the stream going for a while. So I appreciate, of course, your very kind attention and curiosity in this area. Now, let's bring up some more information about this, uh, this situation. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the details of what's been going on with these riots. Oh, and yes, we're going to get to Twitter. We're going to get to Trump. We're going to get to all of this stuff, I promise you. And it is lit like a freaking supernova these days, I'm telling you. All right, so where the heck did I last put my browser browser? All right, so this is from the, uh, the Daily Wire, of course. Let me just shift over a wee bit here and do my meet you over on the... Look at that. I'm going to the left. Finally. Finally. All right. Ah, uh, lordy, the excitement of the HTML widget. All right, let's just close that. Ah, an unexpected error has occurred. <laughs> we were looking for integrity for the mainstream media, and an entirely expected error has occurred. All right, let's try that again. Uh, if I sh show and hide this, it should come back. Otherwise, I'll just read it. There we go. So, riot to storm third police precinct in Minneapolis. They set fires at a facility. Uh, this is all, of course, pretty terrible. Yeah, let's go full screen, fine. Rioters stormed the headquarters of Minneapolis's third police precinct late on Thursday night in response to the death of George Floyd and have reportedly started setting fires at the building. Associated Press reported live stream video. Let's just stop this. Save our bandwidth. Live stream video showed the protesters entering the building where fire alarms blared and sprinklers ran as blazes were set. The Associated Press said police appeared to have left the building located in the neighborhood not far from where Floyd died Monday. And, I mean, it's just amazing, too, because uh, you can see these mainstream reporters who are saying, oh, it's mostly peaceful while they're standing in front of a burning building while the riot is occurring. Uh, it's just quite Mad. Nick Wiltman, a reporter for the Pioneer Press, tweeted a video of the incident from the ground, writing, The protesters appear to have overrun the third precinct in Minneapolis after the fence went down. Officers loaded into squads and seem to abandon the building. Protesters are now warning each other that the National Guard is on its way. And, you know, I mean, there's going to be shooting, there's going to be deaths, and so I guess this is how you honor a man who was unlawfully killed, according to a lot of people, is you make sure that a whole bunch of other people get killed. Dear, oh dear. So yeah, this has been going on. Uh, people are shooting off fireworks after rioters have stormed the police facility. So yeah, I mean, this is like, this is like a scene from Terminator, like right? the very first Terminator, uh, when um, Schwarzenegger's character just goes into the police station and just blows everyone away. That's, uh, that's kind of what's going down, right? Now, uh, this is the beginning of the, let's see if we can bring me back. Let's find out. Let's find out. When the looting starts, the shooting starts. Trump threatens to assume control of Minneapolis. There's an extraordinary tweet about rioter thugs. National Guard rolls into the city and so on, right? Now, this has been just an absolutely astonishing development. That has been 
a wildly astonishing development in the battle between Twitter and uh, President and President Trump. So let's spend a little bit of time on this. Uh, and I did, of course, talk about this to some degree yesterday in my analysis of Trump's threat of removing the Section 230 provisions that uh, render social media companies immune from lawsuits as long as they don't uh, filter based upon content, uh, upon political ideology and so on, right? So now, first of all, uh, Barack Obama referred to the rioters as thugs, black rioters as thugs in the past, so let's not pretend that this hasn't been talked about before. Or, I mean, I guess you can pretend about it, but uh, it's just crap. So, sorry, um, this is a little... I don't know why this is becoming such a hassle to just simply get. I can't zoom this thing, and I can't, uh, I can't scroll around within it. So I guess I'll just get pushed over to the edge here. Okay. So uh, I'll just uh, – can we get over here? Can we get over here? What's the story here? Wow. <laughs> really doesn't matter. All right. So <clears throat> let me just uh, – sorry, let me just bring this up in another browser because it ain't working to save our life. All right. So this is from the Daily Mail, because, you know, a lot of times you have to go to the foreign press to that get, this, uh, to get this kind of stuff uh, in any kind of objectivity. So what happened was the president talked about when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And that, as far as I understand it, that's kind of the rules of engagement when it comes to looting, right? So when you have a small police presence, and you always have a small police presence relative to a lawless jungle of looters, right? And so what happens is when you go in as the National Guard or as the cops and you try to restore order, you're vastly outnumbered by people who are in a high state of chaos and excitement. And so what happens is you say stop or, or, or halt or freeze, and either one of two things will usually happen in a looting situation. Number one, the looters will flee. Okay, well, I guess that's some help, but fleeing from cops generally is not uh, allowed, right? And they're actually allowed to, if they believe that you have committed a felony and you're fleeing, my understanding is that they're allowed to use deadly force because they're concerned that you're going to go into the neighborhood and take hostages or do something wild or violent. So that's one situation. The other situation, of course, is that they keep doing what they're doing and ignore you. And the third situation is that they all turn and attack you because they hate cops or hate white people or whatever it is, right? And so looting and shooting have kind of gone hand in hand throughout most of uh, human history, uh, that's unfortunately or tragically or I guess realistically uh, pretty much the only way that you can deal with uh, with this kind of situation. It's not something I like, of course, but I try to stay within the realm of reality rather than some fantasy of how society should be in these kinds of situations. So Trump's tweet, right, so there was a fact-checking tweet that came out day or two ago when Trump said that uh, mail-in voting is subject to extraordinary levels of fraud. And Twitter said that that was disputed or incorrect because it had been fact-checked by the CNN and the Washington Post, which are, of course, extreme leftist organizations. And then Twitter found out that they were wrong and had to withdraw that. So then when Trump said, listen, if you break the law, we're allowed to use violence to stop you, which is statism 101. I mean, the government uses force to enforce its laws. That's the basic reality that only looking at the government as some kind of weird sugar daddy husband or wife replacement uh, has inured people to that basic fact that political power grows out of the barrel of a gun, as Chairman Mao said. And uh, you can find clips of Barack Obama online saying that the government is force, and that's what we do, 
and that's the deal, right? So, uh, but of course, the government's become everyone's daddy, uh, and and therefore we've kind of lost that that sense. But that's the reality, right? So the idea that the government would use force to ins- in, in, enforce laws and restore order, uh, that's a basic reality, but everyone's got kind of ridiculous about this stuff and pretend that's not the situation. So what Twitter did was they hid President Trump's tweet. Whew. Holy crap. And Twitter's stock price plunged 5% because everyone can see this battle is going to go pretty, pretty badly, right? So Twitter said that saying that force would be used to restore order from the president, that his tweet violated Twitter's rules about glorifying violence. Glorifying violence. So apparently referring to these thugs as protesters is not glorifying violence. Saying that their anger is just is not glorifying violence. But saying that order is going to be restored at gunpoint if necessary is glorifying violence, right? And Trump took to Twitter last night to blast Minneapolis mayor as a radical left, leftist and warned he would intervene. And, yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think it's a Jewish mayor uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, boy, he wouldn't last five minutes in uh, Israel with that attitude. But um, CNN reporter, one CNN reporter, was uh, handcuffed and led away. Uh, and a producer also uh, was handcuffed and led away. And that, of course, has all... Uh, been reversed now. I think they're out. And Antifa is out there, and they are instigating things as well. So Trump uh, wrote, I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city, Minneapolis, a total lack of leadership. Either the very weak radical left mayor, Jacob Frey, gets his act together and brings the city under control. I will send in the National Guard and get the job done right. These thugs said Trump are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Waltz and told him the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts, right? We will assume control. When the looting starts, the shooting starts, right? So, again, uh, and then this is what, right? So this is what Twitter did. They said the tweet violated the Twitter rules about glorifying violence. However, however, Twitter has determined that it may be in the public's interest for the tweet to remain accessible. So in a moment of national crisis and national emergency, the commander-in-chief of the American forces, the president of the United States, is being suppressed by Twitter. And, uh, yeah, you can have a look at some of these um, situations, save a life, kill a cop, all of this stuff. And uh, that's kind of natural, and uh, shocking footage has emerged showing a driver appearing to deliberately, what did they say here, mow down a demonstrator. Well, no, I mean, don't attack a woman in her car when she's alone. She's going to have to try and get out, right? The police building engulfed in flames as rioters took over the building. A mob descended upon the third precinct, smashing windows, setting on fire, second night of violent protests, and yeah, fists in the air, burning things down. So police uh, using pepper spray and batons were trying to disperse protesters at about 4.30 in the morning. It was the first time authorities had been seen in the area for about an hour. 500 National Guard soldiers deployed to the streets of Minneapolis. State of emergency declared by the mayor, Frey. And Frey called the looting unacceptable. Come on, they're just undocumented shoppers. But raised Trump for, quote, refusing to take responsibility for your 
own actions, saying the president knows nothing about the strength of Minneapolis. I don't really think that, uh, I don't really think that means very much, right? So, yeah, these are the situations. So you see, the pol- now the police, of course, have lost a lot of support from the right, from Republicans. Because, you see, the police have been arresting people for trying to open their businesses. The police in America have been uh, dragging moms away from their kids for refusing to follow particularly obscure standards about masks and social distancing. So a lot of the people who formerly would be, you know, stick up for the cats in blue have said, look, the police were more than happy to violate our constitutional rights based upon arbitrary orders, and they didn't stand up for us. So why on earth are we going to stand up for them? And that's a big uh, a big problem. Uh, the, the traditional supporters of the police uh, are no longer that interested, right? Yeah, so this is the scene inside Minneapolis Police 3rd Precinct Building. And this is a fire and smoke engulfing a liquor store. I guess it's inflammable, right? So all of that. And in New York City, New York Police Department officers were seen brawling on the ground with protesters uh, and all of that. So, yeah, this is the... Uh, this is the situation. It is, uh... well, it's funny, too, because there's been no official government in Somalia, right? So Minnesota is home to the largest population of, I believe, Somalis in uh, America. Uh, they came in in the 80s and 90s. There was another big wave under Obama. And Somali actually doesn't, Somalia doesn't have a police force or a functional government and hasn't for many years, and it's interesting how it's kind of being uh, replicated, right? So, as I tweeted about, this magic soil theory that you bring people in from Somalia and suddenly they gain all of the history of Western philosophy and separation of church and state and minimal government and free markets and Aristotelian logic and Socratic reasoning, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. You know, I go to Japan, uh, I don't get shor- shorter. It just doesn't, doesn't really work that way, so... Uh, the I Can't Breathe stuff is pretty common, and this goes back to uh, Eric Garner. The uh, porn shop is going up in flames. I can understand why poor people would have a troublesome relationship with the porn shop. And uh, that's all gone. That's all gone. Thousands of protesters packed the streets around a burning police building. That is the interior of the liquor store not far from the police station. And, I mean, we could look at this riot stuff all day, uh, but uh, it is, uh, yeah, it's a mogadishu, right? Obviously. Uh, And uh, where this is going on, again, to point it out, uh, Antifa and other far-left organizers have gone in there and are instigating further violence because they wish to destabilize America and the West as a whole. And so this serves their particular uh, purposes, and so they're in there doing all of this kind of stuff. Minneapolis city officials issued a warning for protesters and residents to flee the scene. Uh, at the third precinct as gas lines were cut because, quote, other explosive materials are in the building, right? This could be a bomb. It's basically turning the building into a bomb, and uh, that's, uh, that's pretty significant. Now, let's look at the counter-narrative, which remains up in the air for reasons that I don't follow. They may become clear, those reasons. They may not become clear, but let's look at some of the counter-narrative. Um, and and figure this out, right? This is from Daily Mail again, right? So prosecutors warn there is, quote, evidence that does not support criminal charge in case of four cops accused of killing George Floyd. So listen, there is a couple of potential reasons as to why we might look at this terrible death differently. 
I don't know what they are. And I'm not endorsing any of these perspectives. I hate having to put these caveats in, but you know how people are, right? So this is, there are situations wherein you'd say, okay, I can kind of get that, right? I don't like what happened. Nobody likes what happened, of course, right? But you can say, okay, at least I can understand how it played out this way. Although I may hate it, I may disagree with it, I can at least understand how it played out this way. So there's a couple of things. So if George Floyd had said to the cop uh, or the cops, I have AIDS, I have coronavirus, I have some horrible disease, and he spits at them or tries to scratch at them or tries to bite them, well, then he's weaponized his body and then he's armed with a deadly disease or a potentially deadly or debilitating disease. And that might be why they had to keep his head down uh, and had the knee on the back of his head because if he bites or spits, uh, that could be uh, a, um, uh, a situation where you'd say, okay, I don't like any of this, but I can understand then why they had to keep his head down. Because and Now, that's a possibility. Could could happen that way. Another possibility could be that he had some kind, that was the case with Eric Garner, right? Underlying health conditions that produced a death that couldn't reasonably be anticipated by the police, right? So let's say he had drugs in his system. Uh, let's say he had some underlying health condition. Let's say he had a weak heart. Let's say he had something, right? Wherein you'd say, if in the autopsy there's no particular damage to his neck, his windpipe wasn't crushed, there was no evidence that his breathing was impaired. And listen, I mean, I've talked to cops, and, and I mean, that's not an argument, you understand, but I'm just saying, I've talked to cops, and they say, listen, when you arrest someone, they will always tell you that they're in pain. They will always tell you they can't breathe. They will always tell you the cuffs are too tight, and they will always do this. And the reason they want to do that is, A, so you'll, A, you could possibly just to give them more comfort, and, and, or it could be because they want to loosen so they can run or attack or something like that, right? So if you're a cop, you know, just about every time you arrest someone, they'll say, I can't breathe, the cuffs are too tight, and, and so this may be something that you just kind of tune out. And, you know, 999 times out of 1,000, uh, you've made the right call, in this case in particular, not, right? So let's say in the autopsy, there's no destruction of uh, the windpipe, there's no breaking of the hyoid bone, uh, there's no indication that his breathing was truly impaired. And, you know, people say, well, he could breathe long enough or he could breathe enough to uh, say that he couldn't breathe. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's, it's possible. I, I, I don't tend to particularly follow that viewpoint. But if he had uh, drugs in his system that could have caused health problems, if he had an underlying health condition, if in the autopsy it shows that it was not asphyxiation that killed him, okay. Well, that's different. So here's the situation, right? They arrest this guy. He resists arrest. Maybe he tells them that he's, uh, or they have reason to believe that he's dangerous outside of simply being cuffed and on the ground. Maybe he said he was sick and he was going to bite them or something else, which we don't know about. And then they don't listen to him when he says he can't breathe because that's what everyone says. And uh, then he, he dies, and there's something else that caused the death. These are all within the realm of possibility. I don't know what happened. Maybe they did crush the guy's neck while being filmed, and, and maybe they did hate him, and, and they go to jail for murder, good, or death penalty or whatever. I'm fine with that if that's what they did, of course, right? Black lives matter, white lives matter. I get all of that, right? But there are situations wherein we could look at this and say, this was a terrible situation, but I have some comprehension of why the cops did what they did. Now, obviously, you shouldn't get killed for resisting arrest. 
But if he hadn't resisted arrest, it's hard to see that they would have done that. We don't know what went down. There are, of course, also indications that one of the arresting police officers knew George Floyd because they'd worked together before for uh, a certain amount of time, a significant amount of time. So that's the situation. So let's look at what's going on else, elsewise, right? Prosecutors have warned there is, quote, evidence that does not support criminal charges in the case of four cops accused of killing George Floyd, as they say police can use a, quote, certain amount of force, force but not excessive. Now, of course, everybody's pushed back to that, which I understand, and I have the same instinct, is to say, well, of course it was excessive force. The guy died. How could it not? Isn't that the very definition of excessive force, that you kill someone? I get that. And if the police had no reason to put their knee on his neck, and if he died because the police put their knee on his neck, then the cops should go to jail. Of course, right? Well, we'll find that out over the course of the investigation. But those are two things which have yet to be established. Now, everybody who's jumping on the bandwagon and, listen, there are even people who I like who are doing this as well. Everyone who's jumping on the bandwagon and say, I know for sure, A, that they had no right to restrain him in this manner, no legal right to restrain him in this manner, and B, that restraint is directly what killed him. Those are the two things that will need to be established in order for a guilty verdict against the cops or this cop or whoever. I don't know what their level of complicity is, the other cops and so on, right? But if they had, if either A, they had a reason to restrain him in this manner and if they had a reason to restrain him in this manner and they had no reason to believe he was dying, then, you know, reasonable doubt, it's, it's a tough call, right? If they had no right to restrain him in this manner, but that restraint did not directly cause his death, then they would be disciplined, but it would not be for murder. Right? I mean, it would be something, something bad, obviously. But if you act unlawfully as a cop, but your actions do not directly result in someone's death, that's a more complicated situation, right? So all of this needs to go on, and the police may be holding on to something else here, right? So excessive force is only valid if they didn't have a reason to do what they did. And again, I'm not saying a moral reason. I'm just saying a reason within the law, right? So, and also, yeah, so people are saying he was out cold for minutes before he lifted his knee. Do you see the footage? Oh, it absolutely looks terrible. And it may be absolutely terrible. It may be absolutely terrible. Unless, of course, you've been a cop on the streets for many years and you've had a whole bunch of people pretend that they've passed out, and then attack you. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the (laughs) rules are here, and mostly neither do you, right? So, all right. So, at a press conference Thursday, Mike Freeman, county attorney for Hennepin County, condemned the actions of Officer Derek Chauvin as horrific and terrible, but he said prosecutors needed to determine if the white cop used excessive force when he knelt on the black man's neck for eight minutes until he passed out and later died. The video is graphic and horrific and terrible, and no person should do that, he said. But my job, in the end, is to prove he violated a criminal statute. But there is other evidence that does not support a criminal charge. What do you think that might be, my friends? What other evidence is there that does not support a criminal charge? Well, my guess, it has something to do with the autopsy. It has something to do with the footage that hasn't been released. As far as I know it, and let me know if I'm wrong about this, but as far as I know it, they... um, 
they haven't released all of the officer's webcam footage from this, right? So the police have access to the autopsy. They have access to the full webcam footage, which is going to have all of the details of the encounter. And we'll see. We'll see. So uh, Freeman pleaded for patience from the Minneapolis community ravaged by Floyd's death as he warned the investigation, quote, can't be rushed for fear of a repeat of the Freddie Gray case in 2015 where all charges were dropped against the cops involved in the black man's death. And yes, I talked about that oh, back in 2015. So, so police officers are allowed to use reasonable force on citizens to restrain them during arrest, but the force cannot be excessive. Prosecutors must now prove that this force was excessive in order to bring criminal charges against Chauvin. Outrage is, is building across the nation, blah, blah, blah. Pinning Floyd down by his neck as he gasps for breath and begs the cop to stop could ever be considered reasonable. And again, from the outside, you're like, that can't possibly be reasonable. And, and if, but if the, if, the, if the police officers were acting in accordance with training and statutes, then the issue is you've got to fix the training and the statutes, right? You've got to fix the law. Freeman did not provide any detail about what the other evidence could be that provides a defense for Chauvin's actions, but said his office now had to, quote, wade through it before charges can be brought. My business is, is it criminal? And that's what we have to prove. Freeman said he understood that people want swift action, but assured the public that we just can't rush this. So... George Floyd. And this, uh, this is the picture, and it is, it's terrible. It's terrible. We don't know how much weight is being applied to this poor man's neck. We don't know. We don't know. And this is footage from a nearby restaurant, and obviously Floyd looks angry, but uh, we don't know what's happened, right? So we don't have footage of the whole thing. We don't have footage of the whole thing. So, this is the case with Freddie Gray. He said it was a rush to charge and a rush to justice and all those people were found not guilty. We can't rush justice as justice can't be rushed. So, they've been fired and I get that. As far as all of this goes, we will... We will see. All right. So, oh, yeah, this is the Trudeau clone. Mayor Jacob Fry, Frey? What is that? It's one hell of a, it's a hell of a rash on his neck. Anyway, <laughs> just sort of noticed that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the history. Listen, I don't want to bag on George Floyd. It looked like he was turning his life around. It looked like um, he was uh, getting involved in trying to, turn young black men away from the life that he had. But this, the, the, the history, his criminal history is relevant because it speaks to motive as to why he might resist being arrest, arrested. There's a certain desperation, of course, that criminals or prior criminals enter into when they get back involved with the police because as you accumulate more and more criminal charges, your reaction to the police becomes so much more extreme, right? This is how I talked about the Ahmaud Arbery case, right? Where Ahmaud Arbery, could have, it could have been his third strike. It could have been absolutely terrible and, and horrible for him. He might have gone to jail for a long period of time if he'd been found to have convicted a felony by being 
in the house uh, without permission, maybe stealing them something. Or, of course, it's a felony even if you're in there and don't steal anything, but you have felonious intent perhaps to come back in case a joint later and so on. So let's talk a little bit about George Floyd's history. Again, not to say anything that happened to him was okay, could have been completely legal, but to understand, right? Because, like, I mean, come on, you and I, I mean... I mean, I've been pulled over by the cops before. You've been pulled over by the cops before. Yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. Anything I can do to help you, officer, I'm going to show you my hands. I'm not going to make any sudden moves because they have a tough job. And, you know, I don't have a job where I could just be shot in a moment's notice. You pull over the wrong person, you are just, you know, they have to look at every encounter with a member of the citizenry as a potential shootout. I mean, that's just the reality, particularly as... Uh, gun violence in certain areas is so extraordinarily high, right? And so when you and I get pulled over by the cops, it's kind of important to be nice, be respectful, be decent. And this is an old Chris Rock thing, and Jesse Lee Peterson has talked about this as well. Just don't resist cops. I mean, it's just it's a bad idea. It, it, it sets events in motion that can go very, very badly. So then, of course, we have to say, okay, well, why might he be resisting cops? Well, because he had a history of significant criminality, highly dangerous criminality, and if he's back on the radar, like, okay, so going, going, to, going, to, going to jail, I mean, this is what is happening to Paul Roger Stone at the moment, right? Guy's in his 60s, he's got asthma, he's going to a place that's a hotbed of coronavirus. And so if you go into jail in your 20s, that's bad enough. If you go into jail in your mid-40s, man, that's a whole mess. Uh, that's a whole, whole different situation. Listen, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, and uh, you're just not the same. I mean, you don't have the same springiness. You don't have the same bounce back. Your sleep is a little lighter, and you're a little creakier, and you just can't. I mean, it's just not good. And so if he was involved in something criminal. We don't know, right? I've heard it was a $10 bill. I heard it was a $20 bill and so on, or maybe it was some other fraudulent situation. But if he was involved in something criminal, then he's going to have a particularly significant incentive to resist arrest. He's just, you know, it may be death by cop. It may, who knows, right? I don't know. But this is why we're talking about his history, right? So George Floyd moved to Minnesota to start a new life shortly after being released from prison in Texas. Right? So um, he was left gasping for breath when a white officer kneeled on his neck. Well, see, that's the thing. I don't know if he knees. He's got one knee. Two knees, you know, it's the body weight on the neck, right? One knee, I don't know. It could be that most of the weight was on the right knee and a small amount of weight was on the left knee. I don't know. For him allegedly playing with a fake $20 bill at a convenience store on Monday evening. Now, it's not illegal to pay with a fake $20 bill. If, if you don't know, it's illegal, right? And it could very well be the case that he had no idea it was illegal and was innocent in the whole situation and so on, right? Now, they say none of the officers could have been aware of Floyd's more than a decade-old criminal history at the time of the arrest. Well, I don't know that that's the case. Because, again, if one of the cops had worked with him before, that's a, uh, uh, a situation. So the 46-year-old, right, this is George Floyd, moved to the city in 2014 and worked as a bouncer at a local restaurant, leaving behind his past in the Houston area. Floyd had made changes to his lifestyle, and a recent video has emerged of him pleading with the younger generations to make good choices and to stop gun violence. He had been there himself years ago, first being arrested in his 20s for theft 
and then a later arrest for armed robbery before he turned his life around. Oh, it's terrible. Terrible stuff. He'd been sentenced to five years in prison in 2009 for aggravated assault stemming from a robbery where Floyd entered a woman's home, pointed a gun at her stomach, and searched the home for drugs and money, according to court records. Terrible. And, like, that's not that long ago, right? So he was, what, 35? He died at 46, right? Yeah, so 11 years ago, in 2009, he would have been 35 or so. So he's in his mid-30s, and he went to jail for five years for aggravated assault stemming from a robbery where he entered a woman's home, pointed a gun at her stomach, and searched the home for drugs and money. So Floyd, right, George Floyd had had at least five stints in jail in one of the charging documents. The officials noted Floyd had two convictions in the 1990s for theft and delivery of a controlled substance, but it is not clear if Floyd served any time for either of those offenses. The final straw for Floyd came after serving five years in prison in 2009 for this aggravated assault. He entered a woman's home, pressed a gun into her stomach, and searched the home for drugs and money. He pleaded guilty to the robbery where another suspect posed as a worker for the local water department, wearing a blue uniform in an attempt to gain access to the woman's home, according to the charging document. But when the woman opened the door, she realized he was not with the water department and attempted to close the door, leading to a struggle. At that time, a Ford Explorer pulled up to the home and five other males exited the car and went up to the front door. The report states the largest of the group, who the victim later identified as Floyd, quote, forced his way inside the residence, placed a pistol against the complainant's abdomen and forced her into the living room area of the residence. This large suspect then proceeded to search the residence while another armed suspect guarded the complainant who was struck in the head and sides by the second armed suspect with his pistol while she screamed for help. Not finding any drugs or money at the house, the men took jewelry and the woman's cell phone and fled in their car. A neighbor who witnessed the robbery took down the car's license plate number. Later, police tracked down the car and found Floyd behind the wheel. He was later identified by the woman as the large suspect who placed a gun against her stomach and forced her into her living room, the document states. (sighs) Floyd pleaded guilty to first-degree felony and was sentenced in April 2009 to five years in prison. Prior to that, Floyd was sentenced to 10 months in state jail for possession of cocaine. He'd been charged in December 2005 for having less than one gram of the controlled substance. However, a few months later, the charge was updated to possession with intent to deliver a controlled substance, amending the amount Floyd allegedly had to more than four grams of cocaine. According to court records, he was able to have the charge reverted back to possession of cocaine of less than a gram. He had two other cocaine offenses, receiving an eight-month sentencing sentence stemming from an October 2002 arrest and was sentenced to 10 months from 2004 arrest. He was arrested in 2002 for criminal trespassing, 30 days in jail. He did another stint for, uh, for theft with a firearm in August 1998, served 10 months at the Harris County Jail. So, I'm in a career criminal in the past, right? I mean, this is terrible. So, in the 2009 incident, with like four other Men, right? So this is like a gang attack, a home invasion, a gang attack. And this poor woman, of course, would have feared for her absolute life and would have been traumatized beyond words. And this was the situation. And again, this is one possible reason 
why he may have resisted arrest, why he might have staged some kind of confrontation with the police. Maybe he had a weapon on him. Maybe he threatened to use it. Maybe they found a weapon in the car. Maybe, I don't know. And neither do you. And until we get this kind of information, well, of course, you know, burning down the entire situation, um, burning down cities, uh, attacking, like, you got to understand the relationship between blacks and the cops is uneasy, not just because the cops are racist, or if they are, of course, some of them would be, but because young black men commit an extraordinary amount of crime. I mean, let's just be factual. Let's just be reasonable. So some of the relationship between the blacks and the police, the young black men and the police, or the black community and the police, has to do with the fact that criminal gangs in the black community hate the police and want to control the neighborhoods themselves. Right? That's, that's the reality. And we did the Daily Wire. And I don't know how to sugarcoat that, and I've gone into reasons as to why. Uh, there is, of course, there's poverty, there's institutionalized racism to, to some degree, and, you know, we, we, we've been having discussions about that for the last hundred years or so, but there are other issues to do with IQ, with the prevalence of the warrior gene, which has been linked to increased aggression with possible situations of differing levels of testosterone and so on. There's lots of other things that are going on. Fatherlessness within the family, the welfare state creating dependence and so on. This is all a reality that it would be helpful for us to discuss, but we can only ever discuss white racism. And that is horrible because it's racist, right? It's not just white racism. Uh, that's the only reason that the black community is having a challenge uh, or challenges. Uh, three quarters of black youths growing up without a father. And as I've talked about before, about half of black women report being raped by black men before they become the age of 18. Uh, and these are all particularly sit uh, difficult situations that are occurring. And, uh, yeah, here's a look of uh, what it looks like. I mean, it's a war zone. It's a war zone. And what's going to happen now? I mean, how many of these people who are rioters were the, quote, refugees that Obama imported from Somalia, uh, which is the reason why, like, so the reason why you have Obamacare in America is because the Somalis voted for... Um, a leftist uh, congressman who then was the deciding vote for Obamacare, right? And so that's why you have Obamacare, was because of the Somali vote and so on, right? And so, yeah, it is, um, it's, it's a long way from Mary Tyler Moore, right? And, yeah, that is the situation. And, of course, you know, just like that, social distancing doesn't matter. And just like that, the, the cops who were bullying people who were standing up for their rights of business, their rights of, of movement, their rights of uh, congregation, their rights to attend church. The cops who were standing up to those people suddenly don't really have a lot to say and have kind of backed down and surrendered the city to this, right? And people say, ah, oh, well, you know, but the blacks are angry and, and so on. Like, I get all of that. I get all of that. And, you know, part of that anger has to do with the fact that uh, there's a lot of really horrible, horrible people in the media. And I would argue that they are uh, some of the worst racists around, there are people in the media who say to the black community, oh, there's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with you. It's just all of this endless white racism, this weaponization of uh, blacks uh, against their own best interests, against uh, a happier, more productive, more prosperous society. They say, ah, you see, well, it's all white racism, despite the fact that black divorce rates and black family fragmentation was far lower in the 1940s and the 1950s than it is now. 
And no one's going to argue who's saying that there was less racism in the 1940s and 1950s than there is now. So um, as Lyndon Johnson has famously been reported as saying with the welfare state, he says, we're going to lock up the N-word vote for the next 200 years. This is the great tragedy. So the sort of big, deep history that is important to uh, understand about this situation is that the communists have for a long time, of course, they have been talking about using racial animosity uh, to take down uh, America, right? To take down the West. That's what they're aiming to do. That is the goal. They are going to use that to take down the West. And so they have been using it with, I mean, the Martin Luther King's central advisor, the, the, the guy who got Martin Luther King and his movement in so much trouble with the FBI was like this Jewish communist who managed his public persona, who gave him legal advice, who defended him, who suggested topics, and I think helped write some of his speeches and so on. So that's sort of a big issue. The communists obviously don't care about oppressed minorities because they're more than happy to torture and oppress minorities within their own countries. And of course, they don't care that the Chinese Communist Party has put millions of Muslims, of the Uyghurs, into these concentration camps. So the communists from the 1920s onward says we're going to foment racial hostility, divide, and tension, and animosity within the West, and particularly in America, in order to disrupt and decay and destroy the society. Now, what happened, of course, was that plan took a real body blow after the Second World War. After the Second World War, poverty was declining by 1% every single year, and the Marxists were in grave danger of running out of poor people that they could weaponize against the free market, right? So the communists had a bunch of body blows in the 1950s and the 1960s, right? So, of course, there was the revelation of the crimes of Stalin by Khrushchev. There was the empirical evidence that the middle class was growing and that blacks in particular were doing better and better and better after the end of the Second World War. Now, if you want to foment racial hatred and division in order to take down a society, the last thing you want is for blacks to be doing well in society and have them become net taxpayers and have racial tensions ease and have, you know, productive and helpful discussions about how we can all get along. And so the leftists, the, the communists, did two things. One is they started importing people from the third world who, in many cases, based upon culture and a variety of other factors, were kind of hostile to uh, the Western experiment, and then they, so they brought a bunch of people in, and then, who, who in many ways can't productively succeed. Like, the Somalians in Minnesota have, like, a literacy rate of about 20% in, in school, and a math literacy rate of about 20%. You're just not going to succeed in an increasingly technological and high-skilled society with that kind of situation. So, they bring groups in who can't succeed, or who have less chance of succeeding, and then what happens is they then say, well, the only reason you can't succeed is because white people hate you. And then that's just how they're going to stoke this kind of stuff. So they were running out of poor blacks and so put in the welfare state and all of that. And also they unionized uh, and, and made it impossible to fire teachers in the 1960s in government schools, which meant that the worst teachers were going to end up with um, uh, being able to stay on and, and all of that, which is why you have one of the reasons why you have such a terrible underperformance in certain sections, particularly poor sections of America. 
And so uh, immigration plus the welfare state was a way of keeping the Bunsen burner of racial animosity flaring up high. And then every single time that there's an election year, then some situation like this is ginned up by the media. And, you know, did you read in the mainstream media about this man's appallingly violent criminal history? Again, it doesn't justify the police putting a knee on his neck, but it does sort of help understand why it could be the case that the police would be cautious, why he might have reason to uh, attack and oppose the police in particularly virulent ways. You don't hear any about this stuff, right? So... The point is to find these situations and to inflame them and to create this kinds of chaos. And I mean, come on, if, if you want to fight racism, you don't burn down your whole neighborhood because that just inflames particular stereotypes about blacks or about Somalians or whatever. You just, so it's, it's really just about ginning up all of this hatred. And uh, it is, I mean, it's going to end really, really badly. I've been, of course, talking about it and fighting about this for many, many, many years. And, you know, it's one of the things I kind of hate being uh, right about, but it is what's going to happen. Okay, so let me just have a quick look up. There's one thing I wanted to check here. I'll take some questions, of course. Yes, um, has the cop had some incidents in his uh, situation, history in a situation? I think he has. And he may be a rogue cop. Absolutely, this could be the case. All right, so let's just see here if I can find a reasonably decent situation here. Okay, so he had a short fuse. George Floyd and a cop who knelt on his neck, or the cop who knelt on his neck, worked together as security at the same Minneapolis club just months earlier. So George Floyd and the cop who kneeled on his neck before he died previously worked together, a former club owner has said. All right, shall I put this up so people don't think I'm just making stuff up. Uh, well, or if I am, I have a mainstream source for making things up. Let's see here. All right. Put this up. Can you see that? Uh, should I move over? Let's just see here. Yeah, that's, I think this is important because we need, need, need to find out more about what's going on with this. I should get my uh, microphone on a set of railings here. All right. Now, according to the ex-owner of the city's El Nuevo Rodeo Club, both men were employed as security at the venue at the same time. Uh, Maya Santa Maria, who recently sold the club, said Chauvin was our off-duty police for almost the entirety of the 17 years that we were open. She revealed that Floyd worked inside the venue as a security guard, while the police officer worked off-duty outside the club. She does not know if the pair knew each other as the business employed two dozen security guards. Wow, it's an exciting place to visit. But there would have been occasions where they were working on the same night, she says. She claims Chauvin would often overreact and use pepper spray on people, saying he had a real short fuse and he seemed afraid. When there was an altercation, he always resorted to pulling out his mace and pepper spraying everybody right away, even if I felt it was unwarranted. The former business owner says Monday's incident could maybe have been diffused if the pair recognized each other. She said, what if he could have just said, hey man, you and I worked together at Maya's place, remember me? Floyd moved to the city from Houston, Texas, blah, blah, blah. All right. So we'll see. Now, I took training as a security guard, believe it or not, many years ago, but I never actually ended up working as a security guard. But uh, from what I understand, you know, security guards kind of got to know each other, right? They've got to know uh, how they're going to handle things and so on. So, And this woman, of course, who's talking about he's got a short fuse and pepper sprayed everyone. It's like, yeah, but you, you employed him for 17 years, so I assume he did a good job. 
that's a pretty small club for, oh, two dozen, uh, probably not two dozen at the same time, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, so they had uh, worked together, uh, or at least worked in the same venue before, and does the sun have integrity now? Gosh, it was page three girls and soap stars for years. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I could find other things as well. And it will be interesting, of course, we will see what is uh, going to be going on down the road if we find out more history about this kind of stuff. All right. So uh, let me turn this off. Let me get to your lovely questions. And just before I do, listen, guys, if you could do me a favor, um, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Uh, the link is, of course, below. I would really, really appreciate it. Um, it's been a pretty rough a uh, year and a half for the show, and um, yeah, suppression and demonetization, some deplatforming, you name it. So if you could help a brother out, I would really, really appreciate it. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. And of course, if you sign up through Subscribestar, you get access to the Free Domain community, which is a wonderful place where we chat and, and uh, play games and all kinds of cool stuff. All right. So let us get to your questions or comments Somebody donated Bitcoin. Thank you. That is uh, very, very kind. I really, really appreciate that. Um, almost a million subscribers and demonetized. Yes, I have been demonetized for a long, long time. So let's see here. Great stuff on free domain. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, has the cop been arrested? Has that occurred now? So he's not just fired. The cop, the cop has been arrested. All right, let me just see here. Let's, let's fly live, baby. Well, I think they kind of have to, right? I mean, unfortunately, it's become that kind of situation as well. Ah, uh, yes, let's get this from San Francisco Chronicle. San Francisco police chief calls killing of George Floyd extremely disturbing. One officer arrested. Uh, not sure why he was not arrested in San Francisco, I assume. Or was he? Let's see here. Uh, San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott on Friday applauded Minneapolis Police Chief's decision to fire four officers, blah, blah, blah. Floyd died Monday, knelt on his neck for more than several minutes. No, had a knee on the back of his neck. We don't know if he knelt on his neck. Again, this is just the kind of stuff that, whatever, right? Thursday, city's police department was deeply disturbed. We stand with our community. Uh, I don't see that. No, I don't see that. Sorry. Um, let's just try this kind of stuff live. Uh, let's see if it's within the past. It should be within the past hour, I suppose, right? Ah, yes. Here we go. New York Post. Derek Chauvin, the cop who pinned down George Floyd, has been arrested. The cop who was caught on camera using his knee to pin George Floyd's neck to the ground has been arrested in the deadly incident, according to reports Friday. He was taken into custody by state authorities, according to tweets from multiple reporters. It's unclear what charges or charge will be filed. Harrington had described Floyd's death as murder during a news conference earlier in the day. So he was fired um, following the release of cell phone video showing him ignoring bystanders' pleas to release Floyd. So, yeah. Uh, so the other three cops were also fired, and this guy has now been uh, arrested and... We will see. We will see what happens. So I imagine that the next move could be for the, um, the police to release any exonerating information that might put this into a slightly different perspective. So we shall see. 
we shall see. All right. R.I.P. Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I get you fake news trolls uh, just about every, every time. So uh, we will see. Now, is there anything... His body cam is filming the car bumper? Uh, if it's a body cam, it would be not filming the car bumper, wouldn't it be? Anyway, we'll see. Yeah, the Daily Mail has reported the cop has been arrested, and we will, we will see about all of that. All right. So shall we, uh, I've got another uh, interview to do here, and I've got a great, great interview uh, coming out. Um, probably tomorrow I will, uh, I will get it out. Uh, I did an interview. Gosh, let me just make sure I get the right name and, uh, uh, and address. Uh, so I did an interview with John B. Wells for ARKMidnight, ARKMidnight.com, and... Uh, we did like two-hour deep dive, philosophy, history, passion, <laughs> fighting, virtue, evil, good. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing, he's a great interviewer. And uh, I will say, I think I did a fairly decent job. A very good job, I think. So uh, let's, uh, let's stay in conversation. Let's stay in conversation and we will, uh, I will keep track of the story, of course, and uh, I will uh, talk to people I know who know more about this kind of stuff as well. And uh, I really, really do appreciate your support in these challenging and troubling times. This is going to be one hell of an election year. And I, again, need and appreciate your support in this ongoing battle, really, for the soul of civilization. I also do appreciate everybody dropping by for these live chats, it's nice to see so many thousands of people who are interested in how philosophy can help us understand contemporary events. I love you guys so much. I really, really look forward to your support. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Uh, take care, my beauties. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>